Good morning, everyone, and happy October to you. The fall is here. Halloween decorations are going up, and I'm excited to bring to you another individual. I know we've been doing podcasts that range from mental health through the pandemic to peak and high performance, but today we have the unique opportunity to speak to an expert in the field of excellence and performance and tying it into business. She is Dr. Ruth Kotayan. She is coming out with a new book called The Success Factor. She will talk to us about her many roles and capacities, including the Chief Learning Officer and Assistant Professor of Education and Anesthesiology and former Assistant Dean of Mentoring and Executive Director of the Mentoring Academy at the Wheel Cornell School of Medicine. She's been hailed by the journal Nature and Columbia University as an expert in mentorship and leadership development. In 2021 alone, she was selected as one of the 30 people worldwide to be named to the Thinkers 50 radar list, the Oscars of management thinking. And by August, she was shortlisted as the top eight emerging management thinkers in the world. She's also a semi-finalist for the Forbes over 50 list. In addition, she publishes in academic journals such as Forbes and Psychology Today, where she writes about optimizing success. Her research is about mindset and the skill set of peak performance, including Nobel laureates, astronauts, and Olympic champions. Thank you so much for subscribing, listening, and supporting the show. Please check me out on Instagram at Richard Listens. Without further ado, I'm greatly excited to bring Dr. Ruth onto the show, and I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Well, thank you again for making time for us, Dr. Ruth, and we're here to talk about you, your work. Isn't it great to be a high performer who's out there doing so much and someone stops to put the lens on you? And all my listeners, we've been talking about peak performance and redefining what it means to be a peak performer in this time. And you've been spending quite a bit of time researching in this field. First of all, thank you for making time to be here. How did you get to this place in your career with so many accomplishments? I am really excited. And I have to tell you, I tell people I am not a high achiever. I study extreme high achievers, but I actually took what I learned from them and was a guinea pig and just tried implementing them in my own life. And I saw an enormous difference and it's almost immediate. I'm really excited about it. I get totally geeked out about studying extreme high achievers and talking about what made them successful and how other people can become successful so much so that I literally got a doctorate in it. That's how obsessed with success I am. And I'm excited to share it with everyone. So you got a doctorate in it to become the chief learning officer at higher institutions like Wheel Cornell Education. I mean, you already probably were living high performance beforehand. So I had several roles before I actually started in finance and banking. And then I went back to my first love, which was higher education. But I wanted to work with graduate students. And I ran what's called an MD PhD program for students who get the dual MD and PhD degree simultaneously. So it's a seven to eight year program funded by our tax dollars to really create more physician scientists. These are people who are winning the Nobel this week. So chances of getting into the program, which I ran, had a 3.0 
three and a half percent acceptance rate. You had a better chance of getting into Stanford than you did into this program. So this program was the best of the best. And even within this program, I saw certain people really achieve greatness. And nationally, what we were talking about, and this is actually the same for any industry, are people who are leaving the workforce, leaving the pipeline, leaving the careers that they've trained for years and decades. In. And everyone was focused, all the money, all the attention, every conversation at a conference was talking about what we called the leaky pipeline, the people who are leaving that workforce. When I was more interested in the other end of the spectrum, the people whose work was so amazing, so incredible, so groundbreaking, that it would more than make up for anyone else who was leaving. And years later, I found out that those people at the end of the spectrum where I was looking, those high achievers are 400% more productive than an average person. So I was wondering, how can we create more of those people? Because I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning aiming to be average. I think people want to be successful, but they don't necessarily have the plan on how to do it. They don't know. So they are just trying these random things out. So I looked at extreme high achievers, those who won the Nobel, those who are astronauts, those who Olympic champions, people in senior government roles, CEOs, to see how they became so successful. And then I reverse engineered that path, created a blueprint wrote a book about it, The Success Factor, and I go around teaching it to anybody who will listen. Well, this is fascinating to me because for a couple of reasons. One, I just got done reading, I'm sure you're familiar with Adam Grant, Think Again, and how, you know, so many people get into professions, including medicine, and it's this family story of who's going to be the doctor and who's going to be the one who achieves for the family. And then once they get on that path, it's really hard to leave. Yes. And it's really hard to trust that impulse, even if you have that thought or that vision of being something else, even for athletes, right? You're trying to copy the blueprint of what's been done before. Yeah. So, you know, I think about that and we start talking about attachment traumas, things like that too. What happens then when you've never really thought through why you wanted to be there and how to break out of the pipeline? So what did you find? I mean, looking at astronauts, you're talking about a subset of doctors who are also then committing to researching how to prevent disease or treated or yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it really started with physician scientists. That's how I started my research. And I found out that all of these exceptional physician scientists did four things in common. And after I figured that out, I was curious if other groups such as the astronauts, such as the Olympic champions, if the same four things existed and what do you know, they do. So that's when I realized that the astronaut is just like an Olympian. And if that's the case, these are learned skills. And if they're learned skills, I'm an adult educator, I can teach it. So that's when it just sort of all fell into place. And the first thing is now I will tell you that some of them came from families where the parents had a similar occupation, but some did not. And they tried many things out before they found what they were really good at. And not just really good at, really enjoyed doing. There's a difference. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you enjoy doing it. So when I talk about the four elements that all high achievers have, the first one is they have found their passion. They have found what they're intrinsically motivated to do. They would do it for free if they could. And very often they do or almost do. I say astronauts are government employees. They're not getting all that much. 
but it's something that they cannot imagine themselves doing anything else. They are not doing it for the award. They are not doing it for a recognition of some sort. I don't know a single Nobel Prize winner who stopped doing science just because they won the Nobel, not one, which means they love doing it so much. It was never about the Nobel. It was never about the Olympic gold medal. There's always something else. There's always something more they want to achieve because they've got this fire in their belly. So I think the first thing that your listeners need to do is figure out what it is they're so passionate about doing that they cannot imagine doing anything else. And this is not an easy process because we often think if we're good at something that should be what we're supposed to do. But what happens is if you're good at something and you don't enjoy doing it and you keep doing it, you actually start to burn out. It becomes a job, doesn't become a passion that you're in the fire that you're fueling. So when I wrote the book, The Success Factor, obviously I talk about the four elements, but I also teach people how to implement those four elements in their lives. So when we talk about the first one, tapping into your passion, I actually take everyone through what is called a passion audit to figure out what is it you're good at? What is it that you would give away because you don't like doing it or you're not very good at it and what you would do for free if you could. And then how do you take those last things and weave them into part of your job? So it's actually a passion audit. And if your listeners, by the way, want to download the passion audit, yes, they can please. just go to my website, ruthgotian.com slash passion audit. And there's one for free with instructions, how you can figure it out and start tapping into your own passion. To we'll it. put that in the show notes and tag that on Instagram as well. I love awesome. that you're providing that because without some sort of self-assessment to gauge where you are, it gets really tricky. And I found even with my PhD, right, you start to trick yourself into, well, I'm supposed to do this. It's good for society. It's good for others. But we lose that passion component has never been part of the equation. It's so interesting. You'll understand this. One of the last courses when you're getting your doctorate is a class to help you develop your proposal. You take the classes, you do a proposal, you take a qualifying exam, and then you start working on, you switch from student to candidate. And the professor for that class, she went around and she asked everyone, why do you want this degree? It is so much work. It is so expensive. It is so isolating. No one around you can understand understand. It's like, as if you're speaking a foreign language, why are you going through this? Why are you putting yourself through this? And I remember listening to the responses and some would say, I want a promotion and this will help. I feel I've been overlooked and this will help. Some will say, I have this question that I've been noodling for a long time and I need to figure this out. What the first ones were saying, I'm doing it for the promotion. I'm doing it for the recognition. Those are the extrinsic motivators where someone else judges us. And guess what? They never finished their doctorate. They became what we call ABD, all but dissertation. Because when you're doing it for someone else to judge you, it is really hard to stay motivated. And those are usually the people who fail out or burn out. But when you are doing it for yourself, that question that you've been noodling over that you're so excited about, there can be any challenge in the world, you are going to get through it because you need to, you need to find the answer. And those are people intrinsically motivated who not only finished their doctorate, they finished in a record time and did exceptionally well. These are everyday living experiences of how to tap into your passion and why it's so important. So we have the so, passion audit is level one. What's stage two? Level two means you are going to outwork everybody. You are not going to complain. You are not going to whine. You're going to be able to get into the state of flow where you're not tired. You're not hungry. You're not stiff. You are so into what you're doing. You are 
are just going to keep at it. You are not dropping your pen at five o'clock. You keep barreling forward because you love this. And this is where your persistent pays off and your tenacity pays off and your grit pays off. All these things mm. that you've been hearing about, this is where it comes in. Because if you have talent, but you don't put in the work, nothing's going to happen. It doesn't matter how much you love it. You have to actually do something with it. If you have a gift, you have to keep working at it. Now, the third one is the strong foundation, which is constantly being reinforced. So the same things that you would see a senior person doing that the high achievers, they're actually still doing the same things they did early in their career. The scientists who won the Nobel are still designing experiments. The Olympians are still doing the basic drills that they did early in their career, right? The NBA champions, the same thing you would see in a junior high gym, you're going to see them doing it before practice or part of practice. Granted, they have better equipment, nicer sneakers. It's the same drills, same exact drills. I spoke to Kayla Harrison, who is a two-time Olympic gold medalist in women's judo. She said everything she learned about judo, she learned in the first six months. Just keeps practicing them over and over again. So that's the third one. And the fourth one, you heard about Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Mark Cuban, that they read three to eight hours a day. That's fabulous. But for those of us who don't have three to eight hours a day, what do you do? Does that mean we can't become billionaires? The issue is they didn't become billionaires because they read for three to eight hours a day. They became so successful because they were open to new knowledge, to saying, I don't know all the answers. I need to open myself to new ways of hearing things. Now, being in a formal classroom is not ideal for adults. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the bandwidth, but there's so many other ways we can learn. So we can read books. We can read articles. We can read blogs. We can listen to podcasts such as this one. Hopefully the listeners are learning something new. We can watch YouTube videos. So many ways to learn something new. And the other thing that the high achievers all have is that they also learn by talking to people. So they all have a team of mentors that they go to when they want to ask questions or try something out or hear about another perspective. So it's all about surrounding yourself with ideas and interesting people and people who believe in you more than you believe in yourself. So those are the four. That's amazing. I hope that our listeners are paying close attention and they will get the success factory, which is coming out in January. The success factor is coming out in January. It is now on pre-sale everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, wherever you buy your books. Amazing. Makes me think. I was watching the Netflix documentary on Bill Gates, and they were showing how that he's so passionate about a lot of causes in the world, and that when he goes into that initial meeting about whatever he might invest or partner in, that he likes to know as much about the subject, like as yes. the person he's meeting with, he really gets curious. They have this insatiable curiosity. They're always curious, always wanting to learn more. And they're not afraid of saying, I don't know everything. I don't know all the answers. And in fact, that's their strength. They don't rest on their laurels. They don't say, you know, I'm so great. I know everything. They will always ask. They will read. 
They will talk to people, whatever they need to do to figure out what they can learn and what they can do better. This is really interesting, particularly for my male listeners, because I do a lot of work with men's groups, running some on Clubhouse right now and men's retreats. And one of the skills we talk about is this being willing to open up to knowing that you don't know and to ask for help or the shame around that, right? And that an elite performer, that is not there. You're leaning on support. You're regularly built in, like you said, this foundation of where do I go? I could be going along and I could be the most successful at my sport for years. And then all of a sudden something mechanical is going on, right? Yeah. And they'll be the first to say, how can I do this better? How can I do this more efficiently? How can I do this more effectively? How can I have a greater impact? That's why they're growing. See, the thing is they're constantly growing. When you don't ask and when you don't say, I don't know everything, you're not growing anymore. And you're very quickly going to become stale because someone will outpace you because they're growing and you're staying in place. Look, Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian ever, gets out of the water, runs to his coach. What went right? What went wrong? What could I have done better? Constantly looking at video of how to do it better. Well, I feel the grief around the athletes in the Olympics. You could feel the, the separation and the pain. You really could. Training in isolation. My hat really goes off with athletes and what they've had to go through. And Without their team around them. And a lot of them said not having their support system there was hard. But you know what? High achievers control what they can control. They can't control that there's a pandemic. They cannot control that their family cannot come and support them. So they put other systems in place to be able to do that. So they might have video chatted with them every day, several times a day, texted with them, whatever they needed to do, have a memento so that they are able to have that control. Control what you can control. What do astronauts do when they're away from their families for such a long period of time? Their crew becomes their family. And look, they train together for a long time. And for them, they actually their work and their play is the same space with the same people, sort of like what we were at the very beginning of the pandemic during the lockdown, right? We're around the same people 24 seven. That's what it's like. Yeah, now we're reminiscing and reflecting on that. Gee, it was kind of playful. We were breaking out board <laughs> games and we were making some banana bread all the time. Sourdough bread. I think that was the key at the beginning of the pandemic. Sourdough starter. Yeah, it's funny. I'm even grieving that right now. It's like that created something so special. I feel like it was a cultural time out that got us back to refocusing on what's important. And now we're kind of falling back into our old ways, running fast, but not sure where we're going. How do you make time to be an educator and to make time for this research? It's really hard to be in front of your students, caring for them delivering the content the highest level and then make additional time to do research i have to tell you this this research has been going on for years this is not something i did just during the pandemic this has been for a long time and i love it i absolutely love it how can i not make time for it i figured out how to do it efficiently effectively and i also gave myself some buffers right so it's not something that i had to complete within six months i did the research for a long time and I wrote the book for a year and now have months built in for the marketing of the book. And I'm hoping it changes lives because I tried it on myself. So I know that it can work. 
can't tell other people to do something I won't try myself. So who's your support system, right? Unless you have a degree in marketing we don't know about. Trying to release a book for me, I'm learning more and more. Didn't think about that one. Well, I have a master's degree in business, so that helps. Okay. But I have to tell you, specifically for marketing a book, I am learning from other authors. What worked for them, what did not work for them, what has tried, because the business that I learned when I got my master's, which was over a quarter of a century ago, is really not relevant now because now we have social media, which we barely had internet then. So it's really learning from what worked for other people and what didn't work for other people and trying, working hard. You got to work just as hard with that. But I believe in what's there. I believe in the book. I believe that it can have an impact. I believe that people who want to be more successful, but didn't know how to take that first step. I think the book, The Success Factor will really get them to switch their mindset from one day, I'm going to do this, switch from one day to making today day one. That's really the key, isn't it? Right? It Seeing the is. opportunity in the now and not giving up that element of choice. Are there tips in the book or tips that you've found in your research on mindset on making this shift from passivity or accepting Right. This is just yeah. who I am. This is what I need to do. This is my role. So first of all, it comes from, you know, Carol Dweck's work, switching from fixed mindset to this is how I was born. I can't control it to a growth mindset. If mm -hmm. I put in the work, good things will happen. And what I do the last third of the book is really about how to implement the four elements that we talked about, the intrinsic motivation, the perseverance, the strong foundation, and the learning through informal means. So I teach you how to find your passion. So I told the listeners about the passion audit. I teach you different ways that you can learn informally, different ways to build your foundation and reinforce it, different ways to build your persistence and your resilience. So these are all different things that you can actually implement because look, I can talk about theory all day long. I don't think anyone is interested in it. I think people want to know what they can do right now to have an impact. Now, the key is you have to do all four of these things together. And because I'm an adult educator, I know that what works for me may not work for you. And what works for me today may not work for me when I have a life transition, a new job, pandemic. So it has to constantly be reevaluated. So what I offer in the book, The Success Factor, is options. It's a buffet of options you can choose from. So if we're talking about the different ways to learn through informal means, you can try one and then you can, at a transition, try something else. So I give you options that you can pick from because I know as an adult, having that flexibility is so critical. So for instance, if you're passionate about music or cooking, what may work for you, like going to an in-person class, all right. of a sudden may not be accessible to you. It may not be accessible, but you might be able to log on to a masterclass or watch on LinkedIn Live. Or there's also programs and foundations that you can log in with some master chefs or somebody's grandma and actually zoom or FaceTime and get these, you know, try this, honey, put a pinch of salt in and really learn from them as well. And they will also support you, right? So you can do that. It's not that learning shuts down just because there's a pandemic. I actually think it has grown exponentially. 
I have never watched so many professional development webinars like I have during the pandemic. They're everywhere. Right. It's the one thing being physically limited has opened us up to. In fact, I was probably personally procrastinating working on the book because there was always somewhere else to be. That's right. And it gave me a clear time to focus. Absolutely. I decided so, to write during the pandemic. That did was, you? That's what I did. Were your classes in person? <laughs> because I work in healthcare, I am in person. But when we teach, it's online. It's an interesting mix. And is everything back to normal right now? We're working on it. Will there be time for a book tour or are you going to use a virtual circuit like this podcast? I think I'm going to try to do a lot of virtual just because it's more efficient and I can reach a lot more people. And if I get the opportunity to fly to places and go to places, then I will. But I think going out, I think people are craving it and they also don't quite know how to do it. So I'm liking virtual. We'll see. I know a lot of conferences have posted surveys. Would you like to attend? And then a day later, we'll be virtual. We'll still be virtual. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Incredible stuff. So how do you keep yourself motivated to work so hard on all these different aspects? What have you found works for you to keep yourself connected to passion? I know what I want to achieve. I know that it takes a lot of milestones that need to be reached in order to get there. And I think it's so critical to celebrate every single milestone along the way. Otherwise, it's just too big and it's not going to get there. And I always share the story. I was working full time when I got my doctorate. And I did a qualitative doctorate, which means a 200 pages. You can't sit and write 200 pages in one sitting, but I didn't celebrate writing chapters. I celebrated writing sections of chapters. And every time I finished writing a section, I rewarded myself with a manicure. And I always say I had the best looking hands of any graduate student, but it didn't have to be something big, but I knew that I can't waste time because if I finish, I'm going to get something great at the end. I had to do something which I knew would be good. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it, but would make me feel good at the end. And that's how I kept going, making sure I hit the next milestone and the next one the best looking hands of any grad student. I love that. I have a friend talking about support systems and the only thing he used to say to me, I a habit of having friends who were not in my education in PhD in psychology because it was like an yeah. echo chamber. And Smart. all he ever said to me was, do you remember when you were struggling to figure out your dissertation? Do you remember when you didn't know how you'd get your first client? It's an incredible gift because lose sight of the small yep. victories along the way, yep. which fuel us. Yeah, you have to celebrate them. So you've got the success factor coming out. We've got informal means of learning. Are there habits for listeners to learn about how to develop their grit, their tenacity? Is it just a matter of practice? So I don't think you can copy somebody else's habits. What works for me may not work for you, but I think you can start developing mindsets. And that's a lot of what I talk about. And the reason I say that is I'm an early riser and I like to get work done right away in the morning. And if you like to sleep until 10, 11, I've already put in a lot of hours by then. So you can't copy my habit if that doesn't work with your lifestyle, but you can start thinking about the mindset of, I know when I am most alert. And during those hours, I like to do my focused work. 
That's not when I'm paying bills. That's not when I'm on Zoom. That's not when I'm responding to emails. I do my focused work when I am most alert. That mindset you can absolutely emulate into your own life. It just needs to be adjusted for your life. So if you're a night owl and that's when you like to do your focused work, you know that during those night hours is when you're doing it. That's perfect. I've tried resisting being morning person. It works for you. <laughs> it turned me into a crisis responder. And now tomorrow I'm going in to help the ice see you at Cedar sinai at 4 30 in the morning apparently there's a skill set for whatever your buyer learn to develop them so give us one thing what did you learn i mean business i know that more and more business leaders are looking towards performance the the barrier yeah. there of saying that doesn't apply to me what are business leaders wanting to know from astronauts and athletes what can they learn i think every organization wants to develop more high achievers because as i said they're 400 percent more productive than the average employee so how can you recruit them how can you retain them how can you recognize them how can you develop more of them and i think that's what leaders want i don't think they want to focus on the average and focus on those who are falling below expectations i think developing more high achievers that could make your organization more innovative and more exceptional is at the top of every leader's mind. Everything from shifting the work culture to how you interview. Well, it's how you recruit, retain, and recognize these high achievers, which is different. I and mean, that could be a whole separate conversation. I've definitely written a lot about this because these high achievers need different metrics and they need different recruitment tactics and different retainment ideas, right? For them, it's about how do we move forward? You can't recognize them for meeting expectations. I have several sessions a week about employee evaluations where they meet competency to meet their next performance yeah. bonus. And it's that's not what they want. They want to know that you recognize that they're thinking five steps ahead, that they're connecting dots that no one else has connected. So giving a shared bonus to a group is not going to work for these. They want to be recognized for their individual contribution because for a lot of them, they're actually carrying the group. Right. And certain companies are really good about building in time for yeah. side projects or the ones that will help advance or that you're curious about. Dr. Ruth, I know your time is valuable. Tell us a little bit more. I know I've seen your articles on Instagram. I'm always like, I got to get in there. I know you're on psychology today for all my psychology colleagues. Yeah. So where can people find you and see your research so your early morning work can be uh, digested? <laughs> and fuel other sure. people's learning. So my website is ruthgotian.com, which is R-U-T-H-G-O-T, like Tom, I-A-N, like Nancy. It's where you can also find the passion on it. I'm on all the social media. It's just my name. And I write in a lot of academic journals, but I also write in Forbes and Psychology Today. So if you just go to Forbes.com, or psychologytoday.com and put in my name, Ruth Gotian, you'll see a bunch of my articles. And the book, The Success Factor, is out on pre-sale now. You could get it on Amazon and it'll arrive on your doorstep in January. That's incredible. Well, 
Thank you so much. I mean, your work means so much to, you know, athletes through the pandemic. I'm getting younger and younger athletes, teenagers that are wanting access to this kind of learning and all over the globe. So thank you for being out there and making time in your already busy day. And I hope you're still making time for your self-care and your manicures. Haven't had a manicure since the pandemic started. That's all right. Discovering new forms of self-care. What's <laughs> one new form you found? Look, I've always been a huge reader, so I'm just reading new things. I enjoy just sitting and reading, and that has always been my best way. I just love it. It takes me away. I'm right there with you. My Saturday afternoons, I still have the habit of reading two, three books at a time. I have to have like three different subject matters going yep. on. It's like I'm an internal class. And I put a little fountain outside. So that's my gift to myself. I sit Good there running water, very meditative, and Good time to read. Yes, exactly. Well, hopefully my book will be out early next year as well. Zero Method copy will have your name on it. Thank you so much. Any parting words for our guests before we send you back to your busy day? I think anyone who wants to can be more successful. They just need to turn one day into day one. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. And I really want to highlight, take the passion audit. I think that's a valuable skill and tool to use. I may take it myself. You never know where you're letting go of your power over choosing your passion and letting that lead you forward to find a gift to yourself, to find what you can be tenacious about what you're hungry for and finding that support system, right? Finding that village that can keep you driven and motivated and cared for. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you again to all my listeners for being present and for supporting me, Dr. Ruth. Goshen, expert on passion, on finding success. Look for her book, The Success Factor. Pre-order it on Amazon. I'm so grateful for the high-achieving performers themselves who are so busy that squeeze in podcasts on their lunch hours, the gratitude, the giving of time in that space. I'm truly inspired by it, and I'm really thankful for that. And to all of you, take time to take 25 minutes, 15 minutes at a time to listen to a podcast like this and share it with your friends or comment on Instagram who are out there trying to improve despite having gone through a pandemic, your own, only you know the pressures you're under to put bread on the table, to continue maintaining, fighting for you and yours, and yet still looking for ways to improve and grow. You inspire me. I thank you for being part of my tribe. Please. If you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens, or Instagram, Richard Listens. Hey, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Richard Listens, and I'm out. Mm-hmm.